Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki here with John Mitchell. We're here talking about college football that's actually happening right now. We've been talking for months about whether or not this would actually happen, and well, Last weekend, football, as people really think about football, if you're kind of a disinterested observer, happened because the SEC started play. I know John's really excited about that. We're going to hold off until the second segment for that, though, because we have discussion about the craziness of the AP Top 25. We'll be going into that in our first segment, SEC in the second, dealing you our uh, tailgater picks in the final segment. But let's dive into the AP Top 25 first, John. Before we get in, though, I, I'm jumping ahead of myself. How are you doing this week? I know we talked last week about you recovering from the, the hurricane, and, uh, you know, how is the recovery going? Uh, it's going pretty well. Things are starting to kind of progress back to normal. Still a lot of work to be done, and um, a lot of things that have to, you know, get back to normal, but it's starting to, we're starting to get there little by little, just, um, you know, a lot of people who are displaced and stuff like that currently and are having to look for alternative places to live from where they are. So there's still, um, quite a bit of things to work out, but we're starting to see things kind of get back to normal and, Part of that normal, I guess, was was watching college football this weekend and whatever capacity we do that this season. Yeah, and I mean, week four, you know, for what it's worth, was in a lot of ways a week one. And, you know, we had the combination of the SEC returning to play. We had the, uh, the fact that pretty much everybody was eligible again for the AP Top 25. And honestly, we had a lot of interesting things happen around there. As uh, anybody who listens regularly knows, I do the Top 25 projections for Saturday Blitz, and I'm just going to say it flat out, it was hell this weekend. I'll get to how well I actually did at it, but... Let's just talk about some of this craziness first, John. The AP came out midweek and said once the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the Mountain West, and even the MAC came out and said that they were going to be playing again, everybody was eligible immediately for the polls. Do you think this was the right decision? I mean, pollsters weren't required to vote for teams, and we'll talk about how some of the interesting things went on around that, but... First and foremost, do you think it was good to just slot these teams back in? No, I think it kind of just shows the absurdity of polls this early in the season that a bunch of teams who haven't played games yet jumped ahead of teams who had actually won some games on the gridiron. I don't, I don't see the point. It's really just, you know, so we have some kind of measuring stick for college football. But I would actually like to see... No team. If you haven't played a game in this crazy season, then you know you're not eligible for the polls yet. After you know the Big Ten opens next month, then there you go. They're back eligible for for postseason or for um, the AP poll, coaches poll, and stuff like that again. So I actually would have preferred if they kind of stayed out, um, just because I mean, you know, we think we know Ohio State's going to be really good this year. We think we know Penn State's going to be really good this year, but you know. You never really know until teams take the take the field. How many times have we seen highly ranked teams come out and and lose early on? I mean, look at LSU this past weekend, who started out the defending national champions as a top ten team and and kind of got eviscerated by Mississippi State and fell pretty significantly in the polls. So I would have preferred, I think, to see that. And we've talked about this for years now, Zach. That even having a poll of some sorts this early in the season is really pointless because there's not enough data on these teams yet. And this season, I think, just accentuates that more than any other ever has. One, at this, you know, I get a kick out of it because obviously it, it, it raises hell for me 
Saturday was stress and a half because you had to think about, as we said, you know, teams like Ohio State and Penn State getting slotted in, Oregon getting slotted in, whether or not you considered USC among the top 25. But then, as you mentioned, LSU dropped hard from 6th to 20th in the most recent poll. And then you had Oklahoma losing to Kansas State for the second straight year. And, uh, I mean, they fell even harder. It was from 3rd to 18th, so they had a 15-point drop out of that. And predicting how far pollsters were going to drop teams like that when, you know, we in Oklahoma's case, we'd only seen them play Missouri State. You know, they look great against an FCS team, and they bumped all the way up to 3rd, but... Was it a legit third this season? And because so many of these conferences are playing conference-only schedules, it, it, it almost, in my mind, feels relevant to slot teams like Ohio State and Oregon back in because, it, you know, they, they have as legitimate an interconference, you know, interconference play as any other conference does. Especially because we only have one data point on the SEC so far. Yeah, I mean, I honestly would prefer if there was four or five games played every year before there was a real poll that came out. I just, you know, I think we see a reliance on preseason polls too much and ranking teams, and it takes several weeks for that kind of preseason biases to go away, if it ever does. And we see teams kind of stick around higher than they should be, even when the on-field product has kind of obviously shown that those teams weren't as good as we thought they were going to be coming into the season. So, you know, and, and speaking of Oklahoma, just so it's been said, can we finally just forget about the Sooners for a season and stop putting them in the top five for a long time, even if they went out the rest of the season? Because they keep every year showing us who they are and, for whatever reason, we keep giving them an opportunity to play in the college football playoff just for them to get, you know, beaten down by whoever, whether it's LSU, whether it's Alabama, Clemson, whoever. So I, I hope that this early season loss that Kansas State just did us all a favor that we don't have to worry about this Oklahoma team anymore. Uh, because I think the Big 12 a, in general has shown that the conference just isn't very strong this season. Yeah, I mean, Texas dropped a spot after holding on against Texas Tech, you know, down 15, had to generate a comeback just to force overtime. And then, you know, wins by the basketball score of 63-56. It, 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 it really, there are legitimate questions about the Big 12 this year, especially because, I mean, the the Sun Belt is 3-0 and against them. And when you get down to it, you know, a, te- a, a team that lost to a Sun Belt team just took out the favorite. So I, I, I think it's legitimate on your part to wonder whether or not we should be talking about the Big 12 again. Unfortunately, the fact that Texas did win keeps them in that discussion, at least for another week. But, you know, pollsters had, you know, I, I, I think thinking about the overloaded field of candidates and how that created major challenges for pollsters is reasonable and how people trying to project it, myself included, had had to really wonder how many of these voters were going to keep a team off their ballots. I mean, Ohio State ended up coming in sixth. I don't think anybody around the country who would be looking at these teams objectively in the preseason would think they're outside the top five at all. But 11 voters kept the Buckeyes off their ballot. It was around 18% of the voters said thanks but no thanks. And it sounds like you would have been in that situation as well, where you just said, I'm not going to put them on the ballot until we see them playing games. So, I mean, do you, what effect do you think these depressed rankings are going to have when it comes time to start thinking about things like the college football playoff? Because I think you're absolutely right that it will have an impact down the road. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't worry about teams like Ohio State in that regard because the Buckeyes come out and handle their business in the Big Ten. I don't think they have to worry about not making up the ground, but I do worry about, you know, what happens to a team like a Penn State or um, a Wisconsin or someone like that who's going to have to be fighting an uphill battle to gain that, I guess, national relevance ahead of some of the teams um, in other conferences like the ACC, like the SEC, you know, the Miamis of the world, the Floridas of the world, the Georgias of the world who, you know, have started ahead of them and have jumped ahead in the polls if for no other reason than because they were able to play games earlier, get tape uh, out there earlier. So, you know, the Blue Bloods are always going to be the Blue Bloods in that regard. Ohio State has no concern, but I do worry about some of the other teams lower down. Even, you know, out west, like you said, Oregon um, is going to, I think, have an uphill battle to fight to get back in the in the, in the conversation. So, I have no idea. I mean, this is uncharted waters. You know, it's it's very new territory for all of us. It's it's different every week. Um, I like I said last week. This is the first time I've ever been thankful not to have an AP vote because I really don't know when I sat down on Sunday morning every week how I would actually cast my ballot because I I would probably since these teams were eligible I probably would vote for them, um, but I would hate having to do so because I don't like the having the preseason biases really sneak in once the season's actually kicked off. Well, and we even think about those preseason biases and, you know, teams have had to deal with, you know, players opting out since then. You know, I look at Oregon, for instance, 15 voters left them off their ballot uh, in the AP poll. It, they came in at number 14, you know, obviously a depressed ranking from where they were in the preseason, but not that much. I think they were 12th, if I'm not mistaken, in the preseason poll. So it, about right around the same, despite the fact that, you know, Panay Sula isn't coming back. And he was the one linchpin that was supposed to, you know, lock down an offensive line that's otherwise returning you know, lost four starters. And so basically you're starting a brand new offensive line, a brand new quarterback. The defense should still be great as hell, but you have to wonder what something like that is actually going to do to a team. And I think voters had to think about that as well when they considered some of where they would put it, a team that's coming back to fall football. Yeah, and there's still several weeks before we get Big Ten and Pac-12 football back, so, you know, that's probably not the last big name who's going to choose to sit this season out. It's true. We, As we get more data points, as more teams are having to postpone or cancel games, we're really going to, you know, hit that tipping point, and we still have to wonder what's going to happen with things like... Uh, you know, the United movements that happened in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. How many players will stay resolute when push comes to shove and the pigskin's actually on the field? It'll be interesting to keep an eye on. But before we go, I, you know, I, I've been alluding to the fact that I have, you know, I project these top 25 picks each week. And honestly... I have to toot my own horn. I had 24 of the 25 teams that landed on the ballot on there, and the only real whiff, uh, because I kind of cheated and put Memphis and USC at 25 tied, um, you know, Memphis came in. But uh, the one team I missed on, really, was Virginia Tech, which I think a lot of people were surprised that the Hokies weren't on there. Um, given that they won a game, they had been ranked coming into the week, and they won fairly convincingly in their opener. Do you think that slotting in these teams did some injustices to a team like Virginia Tech, or were there other teams you think that might have deserved to be on there still? Yeah, I, you know, Virginia Tech honestly had one of the more impressive wins of the weekend when you consider all the adversity they went through. They had, what, 15 players out? Uh, due to COVID-related um, stuff this week. So, I mean, having barely being able to really field a team 
and they went out and were fairly dominant against NC State this week. So, I mean, I I really do think that the Hokies deserve a spot in the polls because they were one of the more impressive teams to me. Like, you know, I, obviously NC State isn't an ACC contender or anything, but when you're dealing with, you know, that scale of losses for one week, being able to be that dominant in a single game I think is really impressive. I think it's one of the more impressive wins to me uh, that Virginia Tech's had in the last few seasons. So, yeah, I, I think the Hokies are definitely a team who, who probably should have stayed in the polls. So I, I can see how you would have missed that. I would have I would have thought that they would have remained in, too. It, it, and, again, it speaks to just how tough this week was to project for any one of these teams. You know, it might have just been the fact that they their game ended up wrapping up fairly late, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of these voters already had a ballot in. So... I, I think that's just the way it goes sometimes, especially with a season like this where it, it's all a patchwork of guesswork. Yeah, you hope stuff like that kind of balances itself out as the season goes, but that's part of the argument of just not having a poll for the first five to six weeks and kind of letting that go. But, you know, fans lo- love to look at the little number by their team's name, so I get it. Well, and the AP's been doing that just as a publishing gimmick since 1936. And honestly, if anyone is given it outsized relevance, it's all of us fans. So, we have to own the fact that we're, we are the ones who make it significant. Whether it's those of us who are, fa- you know, fans of the sport, but also here in, in the big old media talking to you all. Um, we, we set these... We set the terms of engagement here. We we set how important we make these. And you can make as much of the number as you want to, but ultimately the number is what it is this week. And, I, you know, I, it always does end up balancing out in some way or another. Um, the biases inherent in that balancing act, uh, given, you know, where teams begin the season and whatnot is another question, but... With the way this season is, I think at this point, just accept it for what it is. If your team has a number, awesome for you. Um, Hope they hold it for another week because that is no guarantee at all, as we saw with Oklahoma and LSU. Absolutely. Well, on that note, everybody, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive in a bit further into that LSU loss, as well as the rest of the happenings as the SEC finally began play. Grab yourself something to drink, stretch out those legs. We'll be right back. Welcome back from the break to the 75th edition of the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We just sat here talking between sections here and uh, recognized that this was the, what was it, the diamond anniversary when the NFL had their 75th anniversary, so we'll go with that. So, cheers. We're talking SEC football now because after, you know, a long delay... We're in week four, and the SEC, which never actually called off football, decided to finally return to the field. And boy, did we have a weekend, John, because, you know, we obviously had a big upset there uh, with LSU. We had uh, a couple of teams that struggled that were supposed to be much more dominant than we expected. And, uh, you know, a couple of teams that were high up in the rankings made some big statements as well. But I, I, I think we'd be remiss not to dive into this LSU loss a bit more. We have the defending college football playoff champion falling at home to Mississippi State 44-34. And obviously the atmosphere in Death Valley wasn't nearly what we would normally expect from a game like this, but I, you know, I think people just 
didn't want to acknowledge how much LSU lost this offseason. And I think that's, you know, I think we're both somewhat guilty of that as well. But they couldn't just retool as we saw, especially on a gutted defense that only had three starters back. Yeah, only three starters back in. Derek Stingley was out for the game due to a, a non-COVID-related illness that popped up the night before. So, And that secondary got absolutely shredded by Mike Leach's air raid offense. K.J. Costello threw for over 600 yards. And I think one of the things we're also guilty of uh, across the country is underestimating how good of a fit Costello is in Leach's offense and how quickly he's able to kind of help the air raid offense get going. And there's a lot of talent on this Mississippi State team. They have really good receivers. Costello was, you know, a couple of years ago looking at, or coming into last season, we were looking at Costello as a potential first-round NFL draft pick. So I think he was really underestimated. I think he came in and played with a chip on his shoulder. And, yeah, I think LSU was overhyped coming off a national championship. I actually picked them, I believe, fourth in the preseason for the SEC West. So I'm not super shocked to see them struggle. I didn't expect them to struggle to the degree that we saw them struggle in Baton Rouge on Saturday. I mean, this was a 10-point win for Mississippi State that could have easily been a 30-point win if uh, Costello didn't have several turnovers. Uh, I picked six early in the game, um, a couple fumbles, I believe another interception. Also, so I mean, it, it could have easily been even more of a blowout win. And I think at Orgeron and the Tigers kind of figured out that it's a lot more difficult to be the hunted than it is to be the hunter. And they're not coming, um, you know, that would say that came out of nowhere last season. I think a lot of people thought they would be good, but you know, they got a big target on their back coming off a national championship, coming off a dominant national championship run. And with all they lost, I mean, LSU fans all offseason wanted to, you know, talk about there not being too much of a drop-off between Joe Burrow and Miles Brennan, but obviously there's no way that's to be that there's no way that was going to be true. But also the big thing is the offensive line just was not nearly as good. I don't know if Joe Burrow has the Joe Burrow-like season if he plays behind the offensive line that Miles Brennan's trying to play behind. He was sacked seven times. And Mississippi State has a good front seven, but I wouldn't think anyone would call them an elite front seven. And maybe they are. We, you know, maybe we've been underestimating that group coming into the year. But you're absolutely right. I don't think Joe Burrow can do everything he does because I mean, Miles Brennan did throw three touchdowns. He threw for 325 yards, had a couple of picks, but it's not like he had. You know, for most quarterbacks, that would be a good game, 325 yards with three touchdowns, and even if you had two picks. The fact that your team scored 34 points, you'd figure if you have an elite SEC defense, you're, you're going to win that game. But, uh, you know, I think that also speaks just to what Mike Leach brings to the SEC. You know, coming into the season... People wonder whether a Mike Leach offense could really wreak havoc on, you know, the kind of elite defenses that we expect from the SEC. And obviously this is only one game, but already Costello has set the single-game SEC record for yards with 623 yards. He did throw a couple of picks, but he threw five touchdowns. And he, you know, they threw for six, they threw 60 passes. That, you know, that's the kind of Mike Leach offense we expect. You know, Kylan Hill, we talk, we've talked about him throughout the offseason for various reasons, whether it's his activism or his talent between the hash marks. And he only carried, he carried the ball less than 10 times. He had 34 yards on the ground. But he caught eight passes for 158 yards and a touchdown, you know, and he was only one of three players that topped 100 receiving yards. Osiris Mitchell looked incredible with seven catches for 183 and a couple of scores. Um, and Javante Payton also had six catches for 122. So it, it, if Mississippi State can keep this up, and you know, while we can write off the fact that LSU only had three starters back, that Stingley was out. They've been recruiting at a level you would expect them to be able to replace some of those guys they lost, at least. And they still got torched. So, 
Mississippi State might be legit. I know some people were upset that they were only ranked, what was it, 16th after the weekend? Yeah, I mean, LSU fans, I think, are going to harp on the fact that Stingley missed that game. But if anybody <laughs> watched that game, LSU wasn't just missing one, wasn't just one star cornerback away from being more competitive in that game. Like, there's some legit holes on that defense this year that, you know, I, I think it's going to be a problem all year. And I, I could see, you know, obviously I think Mississippi State was a bit underestimated, but I can see the LSU team struggling to stay above 500 this year just based on what we saw in the first game. I think that's more what they're looking at. It's more of a, a, a rebuild than anyone really anticipated. But I, I think it just really shows, too, Zach, how hard it is year in and year out to be – one of the top programs. I think that's why, to me, it makes runs like Alabama's had, like Clemson's had, like Ohio State's had, all that more impressive because it's really, really hard to stay on the top of the mountain every single year in college football. Ain't that the truth? And, you know, trying to climb up that mountain is just as hard. You know, getting to the top is hard. LSU proved that they could do it last year, but cling to that spot is even harder because the wind just keeps a blowing and everyone else wants to knock you off the summit. And, you, right. know, you know, Alabama proved themselves again this weekend, I think. I, I honestly expected voters, more voters to come out with them on top of their ballots than actually did given the way that they, you know, they just effortlessly breezed to a 38-19 victory against Missouri that was much wider in margin than a 19-point victory. Yeah, I mean, Missouri scored with no time left on the clock. The game was, what, 38 to, or 35-3 to in the second half at one point. I mean, it wasn't a competitive game. But I, I we, we saw that, you know, some teams were having a little bit of trouble, even the elite teams in college football with the, you know, Shortened preseason, no spring practice. Georgia really struggled early on against Arkansas. They were down seven to five at the half, and one of the more one of the stranger scores of the weekend, I would say, at least at halftime. Perspective: Texas A&M struggled against Vanderbilt. So you know, Alabama did what they typically do, and that was you know dominate a, a lesser opponent. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was impressed with what Alabama had to offer. I think the thing that really stood out to me the most, I think we knew the offense was going to be dynamic. I didn't think, um, you know, we saw Mac Jones um, able to step in for Tua last year and play well, so it wasn't a surprise. We knew the offensive line would be good. Knew Najee Harris was going to be a really, um, going to have a really strong year at running back. Then obviously Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, that receiver is as good as it gets as a as a duo. But I think the thing that really stood out was the defense looked more like a more like a Nick Saban defense that we saw last year, even the year before that. They were fast and physical able to get sideline to sideline, able to stop the run in the middle, look good on the back end. So I think that's the big difference for Alabama this year. If that defense can play like that week in and week out, then this team's a legitimate threat to win a national championship again. So um, obviously as a fan, I was excited to see that. I'm excited to see the defense back to the level that we've been accustomed to for years. I figured you'd have something to say about that defense because you're absolutely right. They – it, it made the difference, you know. You're, I, I, I think that Alabama's offense, as you said, was going to do what Alabama's offense has done in recent years. They had enough of those pieces and parts back that it, it, they were in a position to just retool and move right back on. And, you know, the polls reflected it. They're still there at number two. I, I honestly think they could, you know, they can... It, they're effectively a 1B right now, right there with Clemson. Georgia, on the other hand, if, you know, Flor Florida honestly looks like the better team in the SEC East right now. And, you know, the fact is Georgia struggled in that first half before they finally pulled away with Stetson Bennett. Um, it makes you wonder whether Dewan Mathis sees the field again anytime soon. Um and what they're going to do when they finally are able to put JT Daniels on the field. So, I, I, I think it's just as big a mess as usual with that offense in Athens. And, you know, the defense obviously came through. Arkansas only scored 
10 points. You know, they were ahead 7-5 by a baseball score at, at, at the intermission, but they only scored three more points after that. The Bulldogs finally seemed to figure it out, but, you know, Florida played a much more complete game. I think Kyle Trask looked great at Ole Miss um, as they ran away with the 51-35 victory. And we could see a changing of the Garden East this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're totally right. There could certainly be a, a changing in the guard in the SEC. I think, obviously, Florida has their concerns on the defensive side of the ball with what Ole Miss was able to do. But I think you can chalk that up to, to Lane Kiffin being able to scheme up a really good game plan against a, what should be a good Gators defense. So, yeah, I think the concern for Georgia on offense is really legitimate, and they don't have any more time to really get that together because they've got Auburn and Alabama in the next two games. So, you know, the time is now to get that figured out, and they're fortunate to have been able to open with an Arkansas because I don't think they would have had any chance against Auburn or Alabama if they opened with either of those teams. So I, I think it's a it's JT Daniels' job. He just got cleared medically on Monday for the Bulldogs. Um, I think he's got a chance to really elevate their quarterback play. Obviously, DeJuan Mathis struggled in his first start, and then Stetson Bennett came and was kind of a calming force. But I don't think any, either of us probably believe the Bulldogs can win the SEC or compete for a national title with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. Yeah, I'm not convinced. How funny is it, though, that we have multiple Pac-12 quarterbacks coming to save the day for SEC offenses? Sorry, I have to get that in, everybody. That's just, you know, my good old dig. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it also speaks to the fact we... It, it makes you wonder, is is South Carolina better than we expected? Is Tennessee worse than we expected? Because, you know, Tennessee was supposed to be the team that pushed Georgia and Florida this year, as it, it seems like we perennial, you know, the perennial discussion that we have but you know they they were pushed to the brink winning only 31 27 against the Gamecocks and you know Jared Garantano was serviceable he was another game he's the game manager we've come to expect him to be and it just feels like Tennessee is also lacking that sort of dynamic extra gear that can push them to the kind of performances we expect from an SEC East team that's going to win the division. Yeah, it almost feels like Tennessee is a quarterback away from really being competitive in the East. I don't want to, you know, demune Garantano too much, but, you know, he had his struggles last year, and I'm not sure he's the guy that's going to lead them. I think they're kind of still kind of teetering around that second tier beneath Florida and Georgia, hanging out with Kentucky, but... You know, maybe South Carolina is a little bit better than we anticipated them to be. I think Colin Hill's got a chance to be really special for them at quarterback. I think, you know, he was a little bit surprising, ended up being the starter for them um, this year. So um, I think he's got a, a shot to be really good and get allow South Carolina to be competitive in the East. And I mean... You know, even I think Missouri in the East has a chance to be better than a lot of people anticipated. I think that they, you know, obviously didn't have much of a chance to beat Alabama, but that's not anything really negative against them. I think Missouri's defense was, I think, a little bit better than expected up front. They were really competitive, and I think they've got a shot to have a decent season if Sean Robinson can kind of be stable at quarterback for them or whoever can come in. So I think the East is really competitive from top to bottom. Uh, it'll be really interesting. I think Florida and Georgia are probably going to be clearly the top two, but the kind of jockeying for position beneath them will be really interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, even Kentucky looked good until that fourth quarter against Auburn. You know, they they kind of had the tapering off there, but it, it also raises the question of who really is going to push Alabama at the top in the West. You know, Alabama looked definitely like the best team in the West this past weekend. LSU lost. Auburn needed that fourth quarter pull away to win 29-13. And, uh, you know, Texas A&M, I, I think that's the game we really need to talk about to kind of wrap this up because 
was it that the defense was good enough to hold Vanderbilt to 12 points, or was it that the offense struggled to only get 17 against the Vanderbilt team? Yeah, I mean, the offensive struggles, I think, is what really stood out. A&M obviously had a few big losses uh, due to some opt-outs that really affected their offense, but I think you know, a lot of people were expecting the Aggies to be this to be the year they were really competitive in the West and really pushed, um, even pushed Alabama for a potential West title. And they just did not look like that. And maybe that's Jimbo Fisher playing chess and kind of holding back as much as possible with Alabama uh, with the travel to Tuscaloosa this coming Saturday. But they did not look like a team ready to compete. Yeah, you know, the fact that Kellen Mond threw for only 189 yards and a touchdown, and the fact that the Aggies lost three fumbles, two of which were by Mond, it it makes you wonder whether or not they as well have the quarterback that they need to really push to that next level. Because the defense, I mean, they held Vanderbilt to 255 total yards. They forced a couple of interceptions. They, the, the defense did everything possible that it needed to do in holding the Commodores to only 12 points. But that offense, it, it cannot continue to do what it did and have them expect to have any real chance in that West race, I think. You know, I, I had A&M as the number two team in the West coming into this year. I think Auburn's probably, from just week week one in the SEC overreactions, Auburn's probably the biggest threat to Alabama. I think the Tigers have a shot to get a lot better as the season progresses, and we'll get a better idea of how good Auburn's going to be when they play Georgia this weekend. Oh, definitely. That game is really going to set things up. and we'll, it, it, It's going to be one of the games we talk about in the next segment, everybody. So plug to keep with us for the... Uh, the, the third segment. But you're absolutely right. I mean, they won the only SEC matchup between ranked teams this week, and I think Kentucky was a legitimately ranked team coming into the week. And for three quarters, they were dead level almost. And it really was only until that last frame that the Tigers managed to get past the Wildcats. You know, a couple of plays here and there, and we might be speaking very differently about them. But ultimately, Gus Malzahn's team was resolute. And I I hate to say it, John, but this feels like the kind of year, the kind of absolutely wacky, crazy year where Auburn does absolutely something stupid to your tide and ruins it at the final hurdle. It's possible. I don't want to portend that. I don't want to put that kind of bad omen out there, but steal your nerves now because I think we might be talking about that in a couple of months just based on the craziness that it already feels like they're going to be able to pull off again. Any final thoughts on the SEC before we wrap up this segment, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Auburn Jesus was a little bit asleep at the wheel Saturday right there before the half because, you know, it looked like that was in full force because Kentucky had a touchdown taken off the board, looked like a clear touchdown, even upon review, um, was ruled short somehow. And then two plays later, we got what looked like an Auburn pick six at the goal line, which assured me right away that this was going to be that kind of season for Auburn. But then a targeting call on the return took that touchdown away. So I don't know. Uh, I guess he's still in preseason form. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, that it totally does feel like that kind of season. You hit that right on the head. Uh, yeah. I do. Stay tuned, everybody, because it's going to be wackier and wackier from week to week. I just get that feeling, whether we're talking about the SEC or any other conference, because frankly, the fact that we're seeing so little interconference play, um, the intersectional moments they're gone this year and so we're gonna have a weirder year than than most of us have ever seen in our lifetimes but with that said we'll be back to think about what happens next week as the craziness continues so again refresh uh Take yourself a stretch and get yourself a quick moment. We'll be right back with you to talk about week five. Stay tuned.
Welcome back for the final segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast. Now's the time where, for the first time this season, we'll actually be looking at games that are coming up. Uh, week 5 picks are in order, but before we get there, it's been a while since we talked about actually tailgating. And right now we've seen some, honestly, some stupid situations with tailgating, John. Um, I don't know if you saw photos from uh, the LSU game last weekend, but, you know, the fact that stadiums aren't allowing tailgating right outside just means that it's pushing just off campus. And, you know, there... I just need to say before anything else, if you need to get together with other people to watch games this weekend or in any future weekend, I totally understand the impulse. Football is a visceral game. Football is a communal game. College football especially helps build our local identities. I'm writing a damn book about this right now. I... I I get exactly why you're doing that. But we're not past the hurdles of coronavirus. You can still get COVID-19 people. If you need to get together, at least wear masks. There are tons of stylish ones for whatever team you root for. All 130 FBS teams. You can even get them if you're an FCS alumnus. And, you know, show up at the tailgate as the contrarian. Go for it. But don't be stupid about this. You know, we want to be watching football as long as possible. And I'm sitting here on a campus where football will be returning in just about a month. And I'm sure fans will be tailgating just off campus, even though they can't go into the stadium at all this season. At least be smart about it. I understand the value that comes from this. But with that value, John, we still need to think about what we're eating and drinking as we navigate our way through this season. So, what do you have on tap? What are, what are you throwing out there as a spread this weekend as you get set for week five? Especially with Texas A&M coming to town for the home opener. Yeah, the first little nip of fall air is out there now, you know, uh, down here even on the Gulf Coast. So it's chilly season in my opinion. So I'm going to make a, the plan for this Saturday is a white chicken chili. I've never made a white chicken chili before. So uh, I'm going to give that a shot this weekend. Just perfect kind of food for the, the first really what feels like fall Saturday because it was technically fall this past weekend, but it didn't really feel like fall outside at least here. Uh, but I think the high is in the very low 70s this coming weekend, so I'm really excited about that. So it feels like a, a great time to throw a chili on. Oh, man, I totally agree with you. And a white chili is so awesome. Um, I'd suggest if you can get your hand on some hatch green chilies that's always the way to go with one of these things but uh obvi Noted. obviously any green chilies you can get your hands on are always going to be delicious but there's just something about those hatch valley chilies that are unbelievable so fans out there all of you in the land of enchantment know exactly what i'm talking about uh and i'll just leave it at that what you drinking john uh, I don't have any super special plans for that, so uh, whatever whatever kind of strikes my fancy in the grocery store, whatever's cheap, to be honest. I've um, had some nostalgia recently with some Rolling Rocks, but Coors Light's typically my go-to cheap Saturday beer, so I'll probably stick with that. Totally understand. I actually, uh, it's Oktoberfest time of year. Genesee makes an Oktoberfest that a friend just brought over, and uh, if I, I'll probably be done with this 12-pack by the end of the week, um, but I'll probably be picking up another one for Saturday, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's something about this time of year that just makes me crave something fried and substantial, so I think I'm going to be frying up some chicken and doing... Uh, Chicken Parmesan sandwiches this weekend. Mm. 
get some uh, get some good fresh mozzarella, slice it nice and thin, melt that down on on, on some fried chicken, uh, some nice Italian flattened out pounded chicken cutlets, and uh, get a good marinara going. Get some nice crusty bread, and how can you go wrong? But let's get to some picks, because. You know, if we're going to eat and drink, we got to think about some football. And, you know, if we have to pick a, a game from the Big 12 this weekend, and with only three Power 5 conferences going, I guess we have to pick a game from the Big 12. Uh, I think probably the best one to look at is TCU-Texas, especially given the way Texas nearly shat the bed last weekend, if you will. Even that said, though, they're coming into this weekend as a 13-point favorite against the Horned Frogs, John. What do you think is going to actually happen there in Austin? I would anticipate another shootout. Um, you know, neither defense played particularly well last week. Obviously, Texas Tech racked up 56 points on Texas, and then TCU really struggled to stop an Iowa State team who just a couple weeks before had struggled to put up points and move the ball against Louisiana. So, you know, definitely didn't look like your typical Gary Patterson uh, coach defense for the Horn Frogs this past week. And we obviously know Texas has a dynamic offense. So I expect a lot of points. I think both teams will play better than they played last week. I think Texas will look a little better defensively. I expect Patterson to make adjustments too. So it'll be, it won't be the shootout we saw uh, between the Red Raiders and the Longhorns last week, but I expect a lot, and I expect TCU to cover the spread ever so slightly, but Texas to win by 10. Texas to win by 10. I, You know, I think we'll probably see something around there. I was expecting about a touchdown victory for Texas. At this point, the way they had to go to overtime, I'm not going to give them the benefit of more than that. Um, but I think we're in agreement that the Horn Frogs cover the spread but Texas ends up getting the win. Moving on to the second game we're going to be looking at this week. Let's move on to the mid-afternoon slate. We, you know, the big game obviously is Texas A&M Alabama. You've got number 2 versus number 13. And, you know, we've seen the Aggies go into Tuscaloosa before and pull off some magic. But, honestly, I'm just going to come out and say it. Kellen Mond is probably no Johnny Football. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, you look at this game and Texas A&M is a 16-point underdog on most lines at sportsbooks coming in. And... That's, uh, you know, that's just slightly down from 16 and a half. You still see 16 and a half at some books. It might come down another point by the time we, you know, games actually play. But, but Alabama is a two-touchdown favorite, essentially, in this game. Do you think the Crimson Tide win by at least that much, John? I do. I, I think just based on what we saw in the first week, Alabama looks like the monster was a better team. I think they're going to go out there looking to prove a point against the Aggies on Saturday. I mean, you know, they didn't cover the spread against Missouri, but that was taking the foot off the gas pedal um, more than anything this past weekend. But I, I, I really like this Alabama team. I think they're well balanced across the field. And I keep going back to how much Kellen Mond and the A&M offense struggled against Vanderbilt this past week and how much bigger of a challenge this Alabama defense is going to present. So I think Alabama's defense is going to dominate the game. I have trouble seeing the Aggies uh, being able to keep up, keep pace with a dynamic Alabama offense. So I think Alabama actually rolls to a three-touchdown win over Texas A&M and kind of removes any doubt early in the game. Yeah, I think this is the week that Alabama comes in and really makes their statement, says we are the top team in the country. We need more people voting for us. I, you know, I, I'm going to be even crazier. I think this is like a 45-6 victory. I really think this is just the tide stomping on the Aggies this weekend. Um, I know you hate when I do shit like that, John, but... <laughs> I 
I, I really do. I think this is, you know, they, they let, as you said, they let their foot off the gas pedal. They kind of tapped on the brakes a bit there in the second half against Mizzou. I don't think they do that against A&M at all. I think they keep roll, tide, roll, and it just, it, the scoreboard just reflects that. Yeah, I mean, that Missouri win was kind of the perfect Nick Saban win, right? Because it was it was never in doubt, but also they kind of obviously slowed down in the second half, didn't play up their potential in the second half, so it gave him enough uh, fuel to complain about and to show them on film all week. So kind of the, the perfect way for him to start the season. Of course. You know, you'd expect nothing less from the process. Speaking of another interesting game we have in that mid-afternoon slate, the second you know set of games that are, are played on Saturday, it, it's really the best ACC game of the week, I think, John. You've got two undefeated teams in North Carolina and Boston College. The Tar Heels are on the road, but they're a 13.5-point favorite. Do you think that that Mac Brown's team goes to Chestnut Hill and is able to win by two touchdowns against a Boston College team that's honestly looked really good with Phil Jerkovich there as their new starter at quarterback. Yeah, I think Boston College has been a little bit better than anyone anticipated. And, you know, it took North Carolina a couple weeks ago in Syracuse a little bit of time to finally catch their footing before they finally looked like the North Carolina we expected. I don't think Boston, they're in danger of being upset in Chestnut Hill this weekend, but it wouldn't surprise me if this game's a little more competitive than a lot of people think. I think Jerkovich is a really good fit for the Eagles, has really given them some steady quarterback play. So I expect North Carolina to win, but kind of expect how I expected Texas to beat TCU. I expect it to be around 10 points and not quite two touchdowns. Yeah, I you know, I, I, I could easily see this at 30-27 game either way. Um, North Carolina most likely wins this game, but I think we see it right down to the wire. I, I, I again, just like that Texas game, I think it's even closer where both teams put up a fair number of points, but, you know, whether it comes down to the kicker or whether it comes down to, you know, a late touchdown that seals the victory, I think we're going to see several lead changes there. I gotta say, John, we might be agreeing way too damn much to start this season, because uh, I, I, we, you know, we've been pretty much in lockstep against the spread so far. So let's see if let's pick a closer game and see if we can actually flip that narrative a bit. We have uh, probably the best group of five game happening. Uh, in that mid-afternoon slot when number 25 Memphis, hanging on to their ranking by a thread, goes down to Dallas and plays SMU uh, there at Gerald J. Ford Stadium. And the Tigers come in as a three-point favorite, even though they've had to postpone and or cancel several games after their players went out on a party bus following the Arkansas State win. Do you think that Memphis has the firepower to take down the Mustangs on their home turf? I think this is going to be one of the more fun games of the weekend, but I think what could hurt Memphis this week is the fact that they've had so much time off. Are they going to be a bit rusty from sitting at home and, you know, obviously we know Shane Bichelle and that SMU offense is capable of putting up a lot of points. And obviously we know Memphis's offense is capable of putting up a lot of points as well. So this should be a really high-scoring affair. But I actually like SMU to pull the upset here. I know Memphis is favored by about a field goal, I think, right now. So I like the Mustangs to, to come home, uh, get the big win over a Memphis team that's been really sitting on the couch and waiting for several weeks now. And I, I think that little bit of rust that they might come out with uh, might affect them. I expect SMU to come out and punch them in the mouth early, break out to maybe a two-touchdown early lead, and Memphis to be playing catch-up for most of the game. And SMU hangs on by a touchdown. Well, damn, everybody, you didn't get the division there that we expected uh, because I'm right there with you, John. SMU is just 
they're on a roll right now, and even though they've been playing sort of lesser competition as the weeks have gone on, um, the you know the fact that they didn't get to play TCU in the battle for the Iron Skillet hasn't hurt them in terms of their ability to keep the machinery running, and ultimately, I. I I, I think that it's going to be a very similar sort of scoreline. You might see SMU. I, I mean, I'm looking at like a 45-42 SMU victory where the spread flips the opposite way. So maybe not as big a, a, a blow, you know, a, a victory as you're expecting. But, well, damn it, we're four for four right now. So... We have one game, everybody, where we could see some division here. Otherwise, um, maybe you just want to bet against us completely. Yeah, fade the picks. Yeah, you might go three out of five in that regard or something. But we've, you know, we've got the one top ten matchup of the week. That's, you know, the primetime SEC game of the week. And, and we'd be remiss not to talk about it. It's, you know, the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Auburn at Georgia. The Tigers come in at number seven. The Bulldogs come in at number four. One of these teams, or both of them, might actually be ranked higher than they actually deserve. And I, I hate to say that, but it might be a bit of, you know, SEC favoritism and the fact that they got to return to the field this week. Which one of these two teams do you think is going to be falling out of the top ten? Because I think whichever loser does lose this game is going to fall out of the top ten. Yeah, this feels like a classic kind of old-school SEC defensive struggle. you got two of the best defenses in the country going head-to-head. Um, and, you know, neither offense looked great in week one, So, or week one for the SEC. Um, you know, it'll be, it's really hard to pick with Georgia right now just because we still have so many unknowns about that offense. Is JT Daniels going to be able to play this weekend? If he is able to play, how quickly is he going to be able to adjust to this Georgia offense? And that's what's kind of keeping me from picking the Bulldogs here, even though obviously Vegas still feels pretty good about them because they're a seven-point favorite. Um, I just really like this Auburn defense, particularly in the secondary. They look really good. Um, against Kentucky this past week. They looked a lot better, I think, on the back end than a lot of people expected, and that front seven's still pretty talented as well. Um, you know, it, it's going to come down to who wins in the trenches in this game, who's able to run the ball more effectively, um, and who's able to make that kind of last-minute play in the fourth quarter. And I kind of expect Bo Nix to hook up with Seth Williams for a late touchdown and for Auburn to come out just ahead of Georgia 23-20 or something in that range. I, I like the Tigers to go into Athens and pull the upset. It, it feels like that kind of year with the Tigers, doesn't it, where they're just going to, you know, pull the rabbit out of their hat week after week after week. It, it, you know, on one hand, it, it really is a matter of who, who is actually playing quarterback. We talked about it in the last segment. I don't think Bennett is the guy to do it long-term. Is JT Daniels actually ready to pick things up there for the Bulldogs and, you know, take it to that next level? I don't think so, especially with how long it's been since he played. And so I think you're right. I said it again, everybody. Five out of five, John is right that... Auburn is going to be pulling off that upset. I think Georgia folds, you know, depending on how bad Auburn beats them, anywhere between 11 and 14. And the Tigers become a top five squad as a result. So enjoy that for next week's top 25 projections, everybody. And, you know, if that's where I don't have these teams... Um, it's because I got the prediction horribly wrong here. And consequently, so did John. So, five out of five. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, no bragging rights for either of us this week. No. We picked five bad games where we all had way too much agreement. And, you know, maybe this is the season where we're just all way too, you know, 
happy to see what happens for whatever it may be. And uh, honestly, betting on these games feels kind of hollow as it is. But it's football. It's what we have. It's what we do. And uh, so do it safely, right? Yeah, that's all we can do. That's all we can do. So, John, I I look forward to hearing how well that white chicken chili turns out. And, uh, you know, I hope your tide do as well as they possibly can. And for all of you out there listening, I hope your team does as well as possible. And I don't even have to say unless they're playing my team this week, because none of my teams are playing this week. So... Until next time, we'll be back with you next Wednesday. So cheers, and uh, thanks for listening.